1: You are Locked On Thunder, your daily podcast on the Oklahoma City Thunder, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello there, everyone. We're locked in for episode 67 of Locked On Thunder, presented by the Norman Transcript. I'm your host, Fred Katz. Locked on Thunder is part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Head on to iTunes and search Locked on Thunder to subscribe to the podcast there. You can leave a review once you're on that page also. And you can find us on audioboom.com also. uh, Log on to normantranscript.com and check out my blog, Thunder Road, under the sports tab on the site. For more Thunder coverage, today's Locked on Thunder is brought to you by SeatGeek. You SeatGeek Geek to find the best deals on tickets. I'm on every day of the week now, Monday through Friday, off for the weekend after this show. So it's our Friday show, opening day in uh, in five days now. Can't believe that one. Uh, time to welcome in my star of the show, Lockdown Warriors host, third-time guest, friend of the show, former classmate of Russell Westbrook's, host of 12 podcasts, 15 podcasts, 18 podcasts, something like that, salary cap extraordinaire, Danny LaRue. Any more, any more, any more titles that I got to give you? Uh ah, that's enough for right now. We'll we'll see after this year. All right. Yeah. You might you might you might be up to 20 podcasts that you host by the by the start of next year. People keep giving me jobs, I'll keep taking them. That's a good that's a good mentality to have. Uh first thing I want to talk about with you. I want to get your take on something cuz something that I I I fired off one tweet which got so much publicity on Thursday. I couldn't even handle it. I think it got all of one retweet and one favorite. Uh, but I do think it 's a legitimate thing, and i don 't know the answer, and I think you 're going to have some intelligent opinions on this so the the, the owners and the and, and the p a are are currently engaging in in labor talks right now at the hope of getting something done before before there 's an opt out in the in the collective bargaining agreement, and they 're renegotiating stuff now the last time they negotiated a play a, a collective bargaining agreement, it was during a work stoppage there weren 't moves going on there weren 't things happening. Rookie contract extensions and rookie options have to be picked up in the next week and a half. October 31st is that deadline. Uh, and if they're going to make rookie scale contracts more more expensive, that probably factors into whether you want to keep a guy on this current rookie contract. Um, so guy, teams are kind of operating in the dark on this. Some people know about it. Some don't. Whether you're on the committee, maybe you know about it. Whether you aren't, maybe you don't. Um, is this is this a fair way to go about the process? Does this make sense? Am I digging in too deep on this?
0: It's a, a fair way to do it. It's just the nature of the beast. You can draw a direct analogy back to the Oklahoma City Thunder last time around, where they agreed to that deal with Kevin Durant without knowing where the terms were going to be. And sometimes you just have to take that risk. However, the most important things we do already know, because there, it's basically been reported that the split of basketball-related income, which is how you determine the salary cap, is going to be the same. And so that means while there will be revenue changes over the course of time, that is the more important rule than where the maxes go. And it sounds like they're doing a, a more of the same in that sort, of a, that sort of a standpoint. But you're right that it does affect it to a certain degree, but they have more information now than they usually would with the kind of uncertainty that you usually see with a labor agreement.
1: Yeah, I mean the thing that I've been wondering about is, and this is not necessarily applicable to the Thunder, because uh, because my my educated guess, um, and I always want to point out when I'm educated guessing on something and when I'm flat out reporting, and this is my educated guess, uh, my educated guess is that the guy, you know, that Josh Huesis's option is going to be picked up, um, and Cameron Payne's option is going to be picked up, because for the most part, if you think that a guy can potentially be part of your future, you're going to pick up that guy. Uh, because if you don't pick up their option and they have a really good year, Danny, as you know, all of a sudden you you, you now lose that guy. You're done with them. You they, you can't resign them because you can only resign them for up to whatever their option would have been worth. And if they have a good year, they're going to get more than that, especially in this environment. Um, so, you know, if Houston comes out and shows he can play defense, you you want to have his option if only because you want to be able to hold on to him. You don't want a Pacers-Solomon Hill situation where Pacers could have had him for really cheap and New Orleans swiped him away for just a whole ton of money. Um, and so I think they're going to pick up those options, but if a team, um, and I, I I'm not even thinking of it as a specific example right now, but if a team is on the fence about picking a guy up and picking and not picking a guy up, I, I wonder how not knowing how, you know, what the rookie scale contract next year is going to be, um, you know, by not knowing necessarily, uh, because that's potentially a replacement for that guy, you know? So, so, you know, and how not knowing what the rookie scale contract is going to be the following year. Or, or how you know, not knowing when that's going to start, you know. For all we know, they up the rookie scale contracts, and they're you know four years left on the CBA, uh, but you know they don't implement it until 2018 or 2019 because they give teams ample time to to adjust to it. And that uncertainty
0: has got to be frustrating for a front office. Sure, there there are two basic points that I think are important to make here. One is the rule that, especially at this point, the team should use when thinking about whether to pick up or decline an option is that if you decline an option, you should cut that player the next day. That is the way it should work, because that means you do not think there's a chance because their salaries are so low right now that the only reason you would ever make an exception that would be for roster limits, but then you should be cutting them anyway. So you have that same issue. I was very critical of the Brooklyn Nets for not cutting Sergei Karasev after they declined his option because it showed that, you know, they did, just didn't have the right kind of the right mentality with it. And the second point is that your concerns about the rookie scale for players who are already under contract are probably a lot less relevant than how that affects teams that are going to acquire first round picks for next year's draft. Because they will most likely grandfather in existing contracts and change the rookie scale for future contracts. Because that's the more fair way to do it, because you don't want to change the terms. The only exception to that would be if they do minimum contracts and raise the minimums beyond the rookie scale contract. They'll probably just elevate it to that level, you know, just make to make that happen. But I wouldn't worry about that with Houston or any guy like that. It's going to be more of those 2017 picks, and that can really change the value because if they're going to up the rookie scale, I mean, I I wrote a piece for the Sporting News about how 2016 first-round picks were super valuable because the scale was deflated. It was lower than it should have been, and those guys will probably stay on those contracts. You are Locked On Thunder, your daily Oklahoma City Thunder podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: Danny, I want to take a quick second to talk about SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to find tickets for the football games or basketball games you want to see up close and in person this season. There's nothing like being in the stadium for the biggest plays of the year, and with SeatGeek, it's never been easier to get the guaranteed seats you want for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's been the easiest way i found to shop for tickets. I can be anywhere, and with just a few taps, I can instantly find seats for this weekend or any game that I'm trying to look for. With SeatGeek, you always get the best deal on every ticket because SeatGeek price compares for you by searching multiple ticket sites. Prices can vary depending on where you shop, but SeatGeek is always going to find you the lowest available price. And SeatGeek wants to help you get the most bang for your buck. That's why every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value. You'll immediately see any underpriced seats and be able to find the best deals that fit your budget. Plus, every ticket you buy on SeatGeek is backed by their 100% guarantee, so you can shop your tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, my listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. To get your $20 rebate on tickets, just download the SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a promo code. Enter the promo code LOTHUNDER. L-O like locked on, one word, L-O Thunder, and SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Download the SeatGeek app and enter the promo code L-O Thunder today. All right, so I'm changing the topic right now. Here's something that somebody asked me on Twitter. I, I, I misplaced this tweet. I tweeted out a ridiculous Brandon Jennings uh, vine, and my my mentions got clogged up, and I couldn't find this tweet again. Somebody tweeted at me. I'm sorry that I'm not crediting you. Somebody tweeted at me asking if Stephen Adams and Ennis Cantor are the best wrestling tag team in the NBA of any possible teammates. Is there anybody else who who else is in that conversation? This is this is this is these are the conversations that people have five days before opening day when there are no games in between and you're basketballed out. So let's have this conversation. We need, we need
0: regular season basketball, but you're talking about it as, as in terms of in ring stuff, not in terms of like promos and that sort of thing. Oh, I, I think,
1: I think promo should absolutely be taken into account. We're talking about WWE right now. So like promos and, 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 and popularity and publicity
0: and trash talk, and are are you really claiming that there's a greater potential for, than for a heel tag team than Durant and Draymond Green? I mean, that's just you just got a lot going right there. I mean you can put it not only through parts of the country, but you're right, Adams and Canner, especially because they have that chemistry and that's always a good part of the equation for them, and they're both big dudes and they're gregarious. So maybe they could be the face tag team and then Durant and, and Draymond can be the can be their rivals that are even though usually the bad guys are a little bit bigger than the than the good guys.
1: Yeah, the bad guys are always big ones. I think I think Steven Adams, honestly, I think I think Steven Adams could play could play the bad guy well.
0: He should do that in movies. I'm a little bit surprised he didn't, because he's just he's in, intimidating physically, you know, in, in just the way that he is if you didn't know him. Well, he looks like huge Danny Trejo. Yeah, I can see that. I'm good with that. He's got he's got that
1: the Danny Trejo hair, the Danny Trejo handlebar mustache that he could he could spruce up a little bit. Like he's he's got he's he looks like he's wearing like the like
0: the like the Danny. The Danny Trejo who hasn't showered in like a week
1: is what he looks like.
0: Would the best underdog team be like JJ Barea and Seth Curry? <laughs> they just have all. They just have all this scrap and spunk. JJ yeah, Barea.
1: JJ Barea comes out with a slingshot. I think he is a slingshot. Who 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 else would be a good one? Like like are there are there any like some some of the so I'm trying to think of like. Who would be like some good old school ones? Like, like if you get like a Ewing Charles Oakley one, I think that would be fun.
0: Yeah, that, that would be up there. I mean, basically anything involving the Bad Boys Pistons. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 for sure. Anything involving the Bad Boys Pistons, for sure. Is there, who who else in the league? I mean,
0: beyond his, beyond his apparent ineptitude at fighting, Kobe and Shaq would be fun. Kobe and Shaq would be very fun. Kobe and Shaq would be very like fat. they would be great. They would be great as one of those teams that works really well, and then just one of them turns on the other, and then they start feuding as singles wrestlers. Like they would do that really well. <laughs> only,
1: only they, they wouldn't be playing at all when they're doing that, right? Like Adams, Adams is a is a very very nice guy, but I could see him playing the bad guy very well.
0: Yeah, um, especially because in when when you're in this country, generally people with accents can pull off being being a bad guy a little bit easier.
1: Yeah. Well, that, that's the diehard theorem. Yeah. But, but it's not just that it's, it's the hair and the size and like, he's a bully on the court. Like Stephen Adams's real life personality is completely different from his, you know, on court personality. So I think he could put that into the ring too.
0: And plus he has a million siblings and they could use that in his storyline too. Yeah,
1: yeah. There you go. And Canner Kanter could do it too. Canner would go along with anything if Adams were there, I think.
0: Yeah. As long as they, uh, they could come out in a golf cart.
1: <laughs> if they could fit, that would be like Shaq and the Buick.
0: Yeah, that's true. Well, didn't they, I, I was just remembering that I thought there was a video of the two of them in a golf cart together over the summer.
1: Was there, oh, there were like a bunch of videos of them. I don't, I don't remember the golf cart one. I might be forgetting that.
0: It's a whirlwind life. As we both know. Do you read, you read either of these, uh, the Rolling
1: Stone KD story or read, the, or the Russ story? In I read S. both
0: of them. Oh,
1: Wow. Wow.
0: How about that? It's, what was... it's, some, it's reading is something I'm physically capable of doing. So, yeah, I, 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 uh, when did you learn? When did you start
1: reading? I feel like you were an early reader.
0: Uh, taught myself to read it too. Yeah. I mean, that's classic showing off big time off, off the sports page in the San Francisco Chronicle showing off. What a show off.
1: What a you show asked
0: off. me the question. I never would have brought that up. Uh, you could have lied and said like six. You're really you, Mister <laughs> Journalist, Mister Norman Transcript are going to ask a list are going to ask somebody to lie to protect their own feelings? Come on, yes, no.
1: exactly. I may uh, you know I may be part of the the old media, but I'm still a millennial. I can't I can't handle this kind of stuff. I've been, <laughs> I've, been I've been you're I've so been soft. I've been I am. I'm soft. I'm like cupcakes. I've been I've been developed I've been developed by by a Facebook world where people only show their life highlights, and that makes me think that I'm supposed to be everything's supposed to be happy and gooey. It's not the way the world works, my friend. <laughs> what did you think of the Lee Jenkins piece? I thought I mean Lee is unreal. Like I I he's so I get kind of competitive when I read good journalism. I read it and I think like, oh, I wish I could have done that. And with Lee, I just read it and I'm just like Holy crap! I I just want to be I want to be thirty percent as good as him, and I will by the time I'm done with my career, and I will be so happy about that.
0: It's also frustrating because he's such a ridiculously nice human being, and it's kind of when you have professional jealousy, it's a little bit better when the person has has at least a little bit of jerkitude to him, and Lee absolutely does not, and. For me, I don't I don't have that sort of a rivalry with feature writers because I've tried it before and I'm bad at it. Uh, I, I have I actually tried it once and it was one of the few pieces that's gotten rejected. I mean, they didn't really reject it; they were going to rework it, but then the subject changed and so we couldn't really do it anymore. So I, I consider that more just like me appreciating great art in another medium. Like, I think for me that's that's how it works. And if it's somebody who does more of what I do. Then I'm more, let's say, competitive in that way. But I can't do what Lee does. I can't do what Jonathan Abrams does, so I don't consider it the same thing. Yeah, Abrams is great too. He, he also a super nice guy. Yeah, incredibly nice
1: guy. Uh, but you know what? Probably not a coincidence that a feature writer like that is a is a nice guy because I think I think a lot of the traits that you need to have because because when you're when you're when you're doing something that Lee Jenkins does or or what Jonathan Abrams does, it's not just about um it's not just like you you have to be able to tap into somebody's emotions without knowing them incredibly well. Like Lee Jenkins wrote that piece like he was Russell Westbrook's best friend. He's not Russell's best friend and that's not dishonest. That's the way that a great narrator is able to tell a story and he's able to tap into somebody's emotions like that and he's able to get people to tell him things that they just feel comfortable telling him um as they should. He is an incredibly nice guy and amazing interviewer and outrageous writer and storyteller in general. Um, But I just, I think those are translatable traits. I, I find that a lot of people who are really good feature writers tend to be really nice people.
0: Well, and it also makes sense because you're trying to build a rapport and you're trying to build a relationship and it's a lot easier to do that when you have emotional intelligence and emotional intelligence lends itself to an affability. So I think those are all things that run together. And when you look at the feature writers and even if you want to go more in the source realm, those people are almost all really nice people when many of the rest of us are just craggly old, like, mean people. So I, th- I think it, it does self-separate to a point because you are able to succeed in it. And one aspect of Jenkins' piece, this one, and then the prior one he wrote on Russell Westbrook, which we can talk about a little bit too if you want. I have a story about that, is that um, he also does a good job of getting background information. And that is an underappreciated trait in that business is because pr- a lot of times you're getting the color from other people. You're not getting that from Russ. You're not getting that from Katie. You're getting that from their friends, from their family, from their entourage, as big or small as it may be. That is that is a very good point. Being able that that's what separates, honestly,
1: the, the writers like Lee from from other people who write feature stories is being able to get just the unbelievable detail that, that kind of because because when you when you, when someone's writing a novel or writing a movie or whatever it is, they write. They write character bios, for it. And, and, and a lot of the bio never makes it into the book or never makes it into the movie, right? But it's something that, that helps define the character. So when you're trying to figure out what's in character for one of these characters to do, you can go through the bio and you can figure out, well, what would this person do? This is how he was raised. This is who his parents are. This is who his siblings are. These are his best friends from growing up. And all that information might not be in the movie or book, but it helps you frame who that character is and and Lee is so good when he's doing these nonfiction stories at finding out the stuff uh, that that you would put into those character bios. And I'm sure – I would love to see his notes that just don't make it into the stories because I'm sure they're just amazingly thorough and interesting. Um, maybe that's yeah. just me as the journalism nerd talking, finding that stuff interesting. But but he's so good at, at piecing that stuff together,
0: which is kind of what makes so much of his writing come alive. He is. And one of the few features that I've ever actually proposed – I sent a I sent an email to somebody on the editorial team at SI proposing to write a feature on Russell Westbrook's upbringing and his background because I actually knew it from personal experience because he and I went to college together and so I had written this proposal about like the way I saw it I actually thought of it like six months prior but then I was doing other stuff and I didn't get a response back but the reason why is because a week later Lee's first piece on Russ came out and so I got mad a little bit mad because that was one that I, I I thought I could do, and he just nailed it out of the ballpark. And so, but for me, it was incredible that as somebody who came into it from the side, that he pieced together so many things in the story that I knew and wanted to tell as somebody who was more around for it. And he just got all that despite flying in in his amazing self. What was that like knowing
1: Russ in college? That must have been interesting.
0: It was so people don't think about this now but he was the unheralded un- underappreciated recruit the guy who was loved was james keith james keith is this affable pretty tall white guy and he was the the girls flocked to him and, every, and everything else and russ was a, an la kid who was the latest scholarship offer he was the other guy he wasn't a mcdonald's all-american he wasn't any of that stuff but the first time i saw him play i knew he was special It was at one of those, you know, the equivalent of Midnight Madness, but it's L.A., so they don't do it at midnight. And I just saw something in him, and that wasn't really why I reached out. It was more that we had discussion sections that were one after the other. And so those are like, 10-person classes, so we would just, like, cross each other's paths. And so we talked for a couple minutes. And he was nice, I think, at that point, because this was his freshman year, and he hadn't really played much. He was really excited that somebody wanted to talk to him. And so he and I would just have conversations about basketball, about adjusting to college and all that kind of stuff. And then we've, we we don't talk a ton now. Like, I don't think he remembers that, that we do talk about UCLA. And he's he's this interesting contradiction in a way where he is, there is this, I don't want to call it surliness, but there is this kind of edge to him. But at the same point, that edge is not permanent. I think Lee did a nice job in this piece when talking about the equipment guy about how that works with him. Is like sometimes he used words that if you if you didn't know him, you would think are that way. But he's just he, he's he's much nicer than that. It's just that that's kind of part of the veneer. I think
1: that's a good way of putting it. I, I thought my favorite part of the Lee article, which I think was a lot of people's favorite parts, was uh, how Lee just Lee honestly he broke down an Instagram as if he was like an English teacher just breaking
0: down one of the one of the great novels of all time. That <laughs> I'm a little bit sad you didn't go with the Zapruder film, but that's okay. You probably don't even know that reference. Oh, I'm not I'm not even gonna respond to that. <laughs> oh do they they teach political history at
1: Syracuse? I well, I was only at Syracuse for one year, but I did take I did take poly, I took four poli sci classes during uh, at Mizzou, which is which is Mizzou, which is that's almost the top one hundred college, Danny,
0: or top one hundred university. Yeah, there are there are other members of the media that went to Mizzou. I think Dieter Kurtenbach went there as well. Oh, there are so many people who went to Mizzou. You can get not not as many as went to UCLA, but that's okay. We can't I don't think all, that's we true. can't all be. Oh, half of the Bay Area press corps went to UCLA. Well, yeah, that's just Bay Area. I'm talking about around the country. Oh, we'll see. Mizzou's got lots, and if this if is I, also if I, I get the get to claim, stupidest, most insular argument you and I, I have ever gotten <laughs> into,
1: if I get to claim, if I get to claim Mizzou and Syracuse, since I was at Syracuse my freshman year, then I can, I can really, I can really dominate the media scape. <laughs> sure, you can really get all of it. Uh, the cupcake analysis was yes. hilarious. There were two parts that were incredible. The cupcake one, I was like, that is amazing. I don't know if he, if someone told him that and he put it in there or if Lee kind of just, fit, someone told him that, you know, Perk called and said cupcakes and, and, and he, you know, pieced
0: it together. I think that was knew. amazing. I think he knew already.
1: I think um, he probably that was too. that
0: wasn't exactly like secretive information. Like that is something that kind of floated around when that Instagram hit. It wasn't exactly, it wasn't exactly common knowledge, but it also wasn't hard to find.
1: Yeah. That was, that was great. That was so funny. And, and and the bit on steven adams um with steven adams saying that he will um what was the exact quote he was talking about how russ is a neat freak and steven adams said steven adams who can make any moment funny uh said uh was it sometimes when he's not there i rub my ass on his massage table yeah i think
0: i think that was it i think he might have <laughs> used butt but same basic thing no
1: no he said ass i'm uh yeah i'm not gratuitously I'm not gratuitously cursing here. I'm
0: I'm merely you're quoting. You're not Adams. you're not getting the auditory clicks. Yeah,
1: no, I'm not. I'm not. Normally, normally, I never I never curse on here. But Stephen Adams,
0: Stephen Adams
1: well, brought it my, out of me.
0: My favorite thing because it it gets at something that really speaks to the, to the Russ that I knew, but also just the way that he is, was there was a quote about, and it is kind of legacy building, but it also does fit with what I know, which is when they were talking about whether he's going to get more up for the game and he said, for the Warriors game, he said, there's nothing extra, I don't need it, I already have it. And that's true. Like, the way, my theory with Russ, and if you want to hear more about this, I talked about this with Lee Jenkins on Real Jam Radio when his first Russ piece came out. My theory with Russ has always been, I don't know if anybody watched the show Heroes, but he is like one of those people who was a, like a, a more of like a scrawny kid who all of a sudden got superpowers and decided, like, I'm going to do everything I wanted to do, and I'm going to do it right now. That's the way Russ plays, and if you know his physical development, it's actually what happened with him. Something, I want to get your take on this. Um, earlier, this well, earlier this
1: week, Adrian Wojnarowski at The Vertical, he... He rehashed a report that he reported about – well, not rehashed, but he, he mentioned a second time a report in, in the midst of another article about Ricky Rubio in which uh, he said that the Thunder and the Kings were at one point in discussions about Cameron Payne for, for Rudy Gay and, and piecing, piecing a deal together around those two guys. Uh, he mentioned that in the podcast he did with Bobby Marks about, about two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, something like that, and then brought it up in an article this week. Um, I'm surprised by that. I, I don't think that Rudy Gay would be the best fit for this team. I'm not necessarily as anti-Rudy Gay as as your average um, basketball nerd. I think a lot of people are very, very anti-Rudy Gay because he commands the ball a lot and his, his outside shooting is inconsistent. Though he's had years where he's hit threes at a pretty decent rate. Um, but, and, and, and I think a lot of the stink of what, Was a really bad contract, and what's now I still think probably a little bit of an overpay, but isn't egregious. Um, it kind of stuck with him, um, even though he's not necessarily getting that money anymore. But I just don't see how Rudy Gay necessarily would fit into this roster. And I'm wondering if if the Thunder pulled off a trade like that was about that, if they didn't lose much more than Cameron Payne, obviously the salaries would have to you have to make the salaries work. But if they if you don't lose much more than Cameron Payne, they get Rudy Gay. Do you think that fits with this team?
0: Not particularly well, because Rudy Gay's biggest strength is that he can do things with the ball in his hands, and that's very valuable in a player who doesn't defend point guards, because that gives you a lot more creative flexibility. There are a lot of guys who play the one who can who are better without the ball in their hands. Like, that's what Monte Ellis always should have been, is a one who doesn't have the ball in his hands. So, Gay gives you that freedom. You don't want somebody who's like that next to Russell Westbrook because you want Russell Westbrook to have the ball in his hands and you want Victor Oladipo to have the ball in his hands. So it is imperfect. It also doesn't help that Cameron Payne should get better and is very cheap right now. And Rudy Gay will be a free agent after this year. He's already made it clear that he's going to decline his player option, and he should. You know, he'll get he'll probably get paid more off of that. But it'll, even if, and this is an underrated part of player options, players off also like Dwight Howard opt out even if they're going to make less per year because they can add security. So he's going to opt out. So the benefits for Oklahoma City are pretty narrow in that case. I don't think he makes them a lot better, and you don't get Rudy Gay to anchor your second unit. That's just not the way it works, especially when you have the the hole they have at small forward. You're not doing it for that purpose. And so I don't like that deal for them. It's not catastrophic in any way, shape, or form, unless you think Cameron Payne is going to be a long-term starter, which I, I'm leaning more towards high-end backup. That's not precluding anything, but that's just where I think is most likely. But you don't give that up for a rental who doesn't fit with your team.
1: Yeah, that's the problem for me, that it's a rental. I mean, I guess part of the mentality might be that you know, the Thunder have, have an impressive culture and, and guys like playing for the organization and, 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 and they've never really signed a big free but they never have signed a big free agent at all. But they have made trades for guys and then re-signed them in the following summer. You know, Canner is one guy, uh Kyle Singler, I know Thunder fans, you know, throw tomatoes at him, but, you know, he was he was, you know, one of the more expensive contracts that they've given out. So if you're talking we- just on a monetary basis, you know, Singler
0: is under that well, wasn't it Nenad Kristic before Singler? Wasn't that like the story? Was that the biggest free agent? Well,
1: Nenad Kr- Singler wasn't the free agency. wasn't was another team's free agent. They traded for him.
0: That's true. They I, I, remember. Him. And, yeah, uh, I remember.
1: And and can't up too much, right? And Ca- canner they traded for. Agreed. Um, and they re-signed those guys. Nenad Kristic is the largest uh, contract they've ever given to another team's free agent.
0: It still nice. is. Second biggest is Anthony Morrow. Former former warrior who I actually covered early in his career. Really good guy. Very good guy. Just had twins. Yeah. And that's why he missed he missed their last preseason game, right? Let's miss the last couple. Um Oh look at couple. look at him look at him just milking that excuse. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, if you're if you if your girlfriend is having twins, um and you've already got a four year old at home and you're you've been in the league for what, ten years probably, right?
0: Yeah, well, well, we can we can clarify this. If you can get out of playing in a preseason game and you're not fighting to make your team, it's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you're if you're if you're missing your kid's birth for for a home preseason game against Denver or Minnesota, then uh, there's there <laughs> there's an issue there.
0: Yeah, you can you can invent a holiday to to observe to miss a preseason game, and I'm not going to have a problem with it.
1: Well, that's basically what Judaism is: inventing <laughs> inventing holidays to observe
0: to get out of work. So so I'm backing away slowly and not commenting. (laughs)
1: That's that's what, that's what reformed Judaism is. Oh no, it's, it's a code. I can't make it in guys. I'm sorry. (laughs) Do you want to talk about the KD piece at all? Yeah. Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Let's talk about the KD piece a little bit and then, uh, and then I'll, I'll give you back your free time. Um, what were your impressions of that piece? I thought it was very well written. Um, I thought I honestly I thought I thought the rest piece was um a little more informative to his character and his personality. Um but maybe that's just because Lee Jenkins is outrageous. Um I did think from a prose perspective the the Rolling Stone piece was very well written.
0: They were telling very different stories and I learned some things about Durant's upbringing that I never knew and that's something that's good in those stories and as somebody who's been around him a little bit, not as much as you, I would guess it's that sort of stuff can really inform the way that you see them and the way that you think about them. And it is, it, and it is also interesting because it's so different than Westbrook in, in many, many different ways. And it, it kind of, it, it filtered in a lot of that stuff. And I think what was interesting about it for me, cause I read it, a couple i think i can't remember if it came out yesterday or the day before and i had heard kind of a lot of people reacting to various snippets of it and maybe it's just me and the way that i read things but those weren't the big takeaways for me i think that was just you know people looking for stories and for me it was more about his path to this point and you know how that upbringing informed everything and how he you know was kind of robbed of that adolescence and never thought never thought of kind of taking agency in that way, because he never really had the opportunity. It's amazing to me that those two pieces came out on the same day. Like, we were talking about
1: WWE. Like, what is more WWE than the KD and the Russell Westbrook piece coming out on the same day?
0: Not much. Like, that is...
1: That's unreal. Two different publications. Um, and and those two guys and that coming out. And obviously it blew up here that, that KD called Russell Westbrook a work friend. Which is, I'm so over it, man.
0: Well, okay. I'm so I, over it. I want to. There, I will take a small moment in that and and say that it was probably that was an over an overly not callous but an overly casual depiction of their relationship. But from what I've heard, there it was more of like that. When you're in the foxhole, you're in the foxhole, and when you're not, you're living your own lives. And so it is a, being a basketball player is very different than work friends in any other context, just because they spend, they spend so much more of their life together in that context than anybody else does. But those guys also don't know any different, you know, it's not like, you know, if you're, if you're Kevin Durant and you've done that your whole life, that is your concept of what that is, is that when you go to work, they're there. And when you go away, maybe you don't, you don't, maybe you don't. Put little hearts on each other's Instagram pictures if that's I think that's what people do, and you, that maybe they're not they're not like that, and that's true with a lot of teams you know that the the guys even even maybe they go to dinner together, but maybe they're not you know like their their spouses aren't friends, you know you go into all that sort of thing, and it is a way of defining the relationship is when you're off the court, how close is it and as much as we know about those guys. I've never heard anything definitive on setting that up. And I thought the Durant piece actually talked about it a little bit more openly than I've heard before, just in terms of that they, they had their own things. Durant had a bigger entourage early on. Russ is, is, I no, they're married now to his, to his now wife who they met at college. And so like, you know, people are independent. That's just the way that it works. And it's probably, it's a characterization that maybe galled a lot of people because it's so different but I don't think it's necessarily unfair if it's accurate. The
1: way that this line has been portrayed – and I agree with everything that you just said. But the way that this line has been portrayed is is the fault of the people who are framing it, the people like us, the media people, um, because at – least, at least locally here I think. And the reason is because of everything that you just said, first of all, I don't know why we think they have to be best friends anyway. No one said that they were best friends before. People said that they got along, that they liked each other, that they worked well together, that they liked being teammates together. No one framed them as best friends. That was never a thing. So this 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 revisionist history that they were best friends and now they're not. And now Kevin Durant is is disrespecting what was once best friendship. Is uh, it's just not it's not true. We're 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 making up the past. Uh, and 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 secondly. Why do we feel like they have to be best friends? Why can't they be work friends? And Kevin Durant's idea of work friends, like you said, is so different than us. Like people are not, people don't realize how much closer you are when you're a basketball player to your teammates, when you're on the road all the time. Like this is not Monday through Friday working in a different cubicle from another person nine to five work friends. This is 23 and a half hours a day, traveling the country like crazy, seeing them every second, uh, you know, showering together after games. Like this is a totally different environment, so much more intimate than your average nine to five Monday through Friday work friends. It's not even close. And like you said, that's the life that Kevin Durant has because this is his job. That's his work friend. but But a work friend to a basketball player is so different from a work friend for us when we're working in our our relatively normal jobs. And that has to be phrased properly in order to take that, you know, put that comment in the right context.
0: Well, I am admittedly not the most knowledgeable person about it from personal experience. The closest analogy in terms of a non-athlete profession is probably the military. So in the military, there are people who you're around for these periods of time for that are also very intense, kind of galvanizing moments in your life. Of course, they're taking substantially more risk. I'm not analogizing the two other than these commonalities. But you have that situation. And that doesn't mean just because you're loyal to somebody, maybe you even have a great personal affection for them in that context that if you guys have the same weekend off to do, you know, whether it's shore leave or whatever, that you're going to hang out that you're going to go to all the same places together, that you are going to do all that that's a separate time. And what those people choose to do with that is their own choice. And it's not surprising that when you spend as much time as they do together, that you would want to spend the little bit of time that you have free with other people, especially if you're in a relationship.
1: You know, I said I was done with this topic earlier in the week on this podcast, and now I'm talking about it again, because stuff just keeps coming up, it won't drop. And I know I'm going to have to talk about it. Before the Thunder and Warriors play on November third, and I'm sure you'll come on again for that. But Danny, before we go, uh, what what I know you're going to have some in the plug. So what do you have to plug?
0: So I'm going to have a new piece coming out for the Sporting News tomorrow, hopefully talking about the potential new tomorrow. Tomorrow, board.
1: tomorrow is is Friday, right? So so uh, on Friday. Friday,
0: yeah, you're right. On Friday, talking about uh, an, an angle on the new collective bargaining agreement. That basically, if they're this close to an agreement. I think they should take a little bit of time to make sure that they sort all of the nuance out before they, like, ratify it and do all that kind of stuff. And so I go through some of the bigger structural issues that have come up in the last few CBAs and say, you know, take a couple months and figure all this out. They're probably going to do that anyway, but I just wanted to make sure.
1: Great. All right. What's your just Danny LaRue on Twitter? Yep, D A N N Y L E R O U X. All right. And remember, I'm on every weekday, Monday through Friday. You can head out to iTunes and subscribe to Lockdown Thunder there. If you have any questions or comments, email lockdownthunder at gmail.com. And, and if you're somebody who's interested in Warriors news and that kind of stuff, then get on Lockdown Warriors as well. You can find that wherever you find Lockdown Thunder. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F R E D K A T Z. Log on to normantranscript.com for all your Thunder needs and check out Thunder Road, my blog there, to follow team coverage and what's next for the Thunder. Uh, and this show was brought to you by Seat Geek. Remember, you can go there and add a promo code LO Thunder and get your $20 rebate there. That's going to do it for today. Off for the weekend back Monday, and uh, we're going to start previewing the season and all that kind of stuff before the Thunder open up on Wednesday. Thanks to Danny LaRue Dan for coming on. Until next time, though, Lockdown Thunder is locked in.
0: Progressive presents Mind Flowness with Flow. Before you lies a beautiful meadow. In that meadow, Progressive Direct has placed its auto insurance rates alongside those of competitors. You select the lowest rate and feel a great sense of calm. A great sense of... Compare Progressive Direct rates with competitors' rates so you can rest easy. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.